Business has always been about turning a profit, making money. But can it stand for something more? Something beyond dollars and cents? We think so. We think that today, business has a higher calling, a purpose to be fair and just, to do right by their workers, customers, communities, and the environment. And it turns out companies successful doing that also do better for their bottom line. When you see the Just Capital seal, it means this company is a force for good. Visit JustCapital.com to learn more. The following is intended solely for the use of those with a sense of adventure. I'm shaking the dust of this town off my feet and I'm going to see the world. This is Travel with Hawkeye. Here's your host, Mark Hawkeye Lewis. In 2018, the New York Times travel section asked if anybody would like to visit 52 places in one year. And 13,000 people applied to take that opportunity. And Jada Yuan was the one that was chosen. In 2019, they decided to do it again. And Sebastian Modek is the lucky person who got to visit 52 places in one year, in 52 weeks. And Sebastian joins us today on our podcast. And Sebastian, you've been back for about a month now. Is that correct? Yeah, about a month besides uh, a week in Mexico that I just got back from. So somehow I haven't stopped traveling even after 52 weeks of it. Uh, Very interesting. Well, I read somewhere recently that you said that this was the hardest job that you've ever had. Now, I think most people would say, wow, I, you know, I can't even, how is this hard? You just traveled all year, but I get it. I, I, I find like if I'm traveling, I'd have to keep up on my Instagram posts that that's kind of a hassle after a while. Explain to people what happens, you know, when you travel continuously and always reporting on it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it feels a little silly to say, right? Because it is also a dream job, and I 100% recognize that as well. It was a dream come true to do this, but it, yeah, it's really difficult. I had I was on the go for, you know, basically 365 days without a break, no weekends, no days off, and uh, the travel itself is grueling. Anyone, even if I was doing it for fun, but having to find and then write and file a story from each place, the social media, the photography, the videos, everything, it's kind of like doing five jobs in once. Yeah, um, yeah. I most try not, I, I try not to lead with it, you know, because oh. people are, quote, immediately roll their eyes and they say, <laughs> "Oh wow, so hard for you." You know. Um, I'm sorry, but, I made you lead uh, with it. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's uh, it's it's, it's it's. I think it's interesting to talk about that reality. That it's it's tough. It's tough to you know emotionally, physically, psychologically, but. Wow, the reward is unbelievable. I mean, I it just blew my mind day after day. Let's talk a little bit about the reward, and then we'll kind of go back to what, what a weekly experience was like for you, okay? But mm-hmm. you, you got to see 52 places. Uh, is, there, is there a couple that just stand out, like they were just so unexpected, so wonderful that you visited? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say because it's uh, there's different reasons why different places kind of stuck with me. Um, but in terms of places that really just blew my mind, uh, Siberia was one of them. I was on a little island in Lake Baikal, which is the deepest lake in the world. And uh, just four days there, it felt like I was in a dream the whole time, um, down to just the way the light was and the the landscape was just unbelievable. Uzbekistan was another place. I mean, there were places that I expected, you know, that I knew kind of well, that I knew that I'd love. And, you know, Japan, Vietnam come to mind. But then others that were really surprising. I mean, I fell in love with a little town in Bulgaria called Plovdiv that if you had asked me before I left on this trip, I wouldn't be able to tell you anything about it. Um, So I think one of the biggest takeaways was that everything has something that is going to blow you away if you look hard enough. Um, And week after week, I 
was lucky enough to find that mostly everywhere. You know, it's interesting because I remember uh, reading the piece on Siberia and everything. And, you know, I, probably when it comes to bucket lists, if you asked 10,000 people how many had Siberia on their bucket list, you might be lucky to find one, if even that. But <laughs> Exactly. But it blew me away the way you talked about it, and it's this this lake that uh, is just sounds so amazing. And I don't know if you've actually convinced anybody to go there only because it's so hard to get there. Right. But I do think it proves the point that, and it's something I've been talking about recently when, when as I've been processing the whole year, is that I think one of my biggest takeaways is that we should stop, we should get rid of the bucket list, right? Because, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a limitation you almost put on yourself because you decide you want to go to all these places that you know about a, a little bit already because people have told you how amazing they are. Why not open it up a little bit? Look in your own backyard or look to the most remote place you can think of, like, you know, like Baikal in Siberia. Um, I think people will be surprised what they find if they stop just thinking about the bucket list, especially because a lot of people's bucket lists end up looking the same. Yeah, yeah. I got to go to Paris. I got to go to London. Not that there's anything wrong right. with Paris and London. They're great places. But as you've proved this past year, there's something amazing in places you've never thought to look. Like, tell us about Uzbekistan. What did you find there? Yeah, I mean, it's just fascinating. The history, first of all, is, is a huge draw. It, it was the crossroads, really, of the Silk Road for hundreds of years. Um, so you have influence from Iran, from China, from Europe, from Turkey, um, from the, the steppes of Mongolia, all kind of colliding in one place. And you can see it down to people's faces. I mean, it's like the, the features of people is just this huge melting pot of cultures over, over, over generations. And so much of that history is still there despite decades under the Soviet Union when they tried to erase a lot of that history. And, but so much of it is still there. It's a country that's really opening up for the first time. And because of that, I found that people were just so excited that I was there at all um, and really opened up their daily lives to me. And, uh, you know, I mean, one story, the story that I focused on in my article was a guy who said, hey, you want to see something really special? And then drove me out two hours of the city to a game of Kopkari, which is this game that involves 200 guys on horses, basically playing a game of keep away with the carcass of a dead goat. Um, and it was just fascinating to see and it felt like such a privilege to witness because I was the only foreigner there and people were so excited that I was there and that's something that you don't see in a lot of places that are more heavily touristed. It's very very interesting and, and um and are you and I apologize for asking are you of Amer are you an American or do you have citizenship in another country? So I am I'm an American citizen only, but I actually didn't even grow up in the U.S. I was born here and lived outside of the U.S. most of my life, moving around. And my dad's from India and my mother's from Colombia, so I'm kind of uh, culturally confused is what I like to call it. <laughs> um, but but citizenship-wise, I'm, I'm an American. Um, it actually probably would have been helpful to have as well, you know, an Indian passport or a Colombian passport. But I just have never got around to it, even though I probably should so as an american when you're going to places like you know uh like siberia or uzbekistan what is the reaction for an american to go there you know it's um i think it's not as at least politically oriented as many people think right um mm -hmm. there's same goes for when i was in the arab world whether it was in qatar or tunisia i, I think i found this year and it's something that i think a lot of a conclusion that a lot of travelers get to is that People are people, and whatever's happening geopolitically is kind of removed from daily life and the connections that you could make 
between people. I mean, a great example of that is I actually, I'll forever be the 52 places traveler with an asterisk because there was one place that was removed from the list about three months into the year. And that was Iran because it just, it was just looking like it would be impossible for me to get there. Yeah. The way the tensions were escalating. And even if they did give me a journalist visa, the New York times was worried about my safety once I was in the country. Mm -hmm. And it was also unlikely that they would give me a New York, uh, a journalist visa. So anyway, long story short, we, decided we had to scrap it. Um, and it was heartbreaking because until that point, and since then, honestly, I've been getting messages almost every week from people in Iran, on the ground in Tehran, saying, I hope one day you can come to my country. I'd love to receive you in my home. I'll show you around. Stay with me. I'll introduce you to my cousins. You know, like, And it just goes to show the disconnect that exists between what we read in the news and the way that we think countries perceive each other and the reality on the ground where people are people and want to make connections regardless of what you know are the people in charge are squabbling about man how heartwarming that must be to receive just you know uh an email a contact from someone from a country you've never visited to welcoming you into their home that you've never even met absolutely and it's like people that i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna get to iran today one day i've decided and those are people i'm gonna message and say hey can i take you up on that meal you know um because it's incredible connections to make Speaking of connections, can you tell us a little bit about some of the connections you made? I mean, when you got into a, a country, you know, and you're just you're plopped down at the airport, and I know you have some of your plans. Your plans are help. Uh, your plans are you have a coordinator back in New York that helps you make your plans. Uh, but I mean, once you get there, uh, how easy how easy was it for you to make connections with locals? Did it get easier as you went? Did it get harder as the year went on? It got easier as I went. I think I was, I'm, I'm an extroverted person, but there is still something intimidating about approaching a stranger or even asking for help, especially when you don't speak the language and you're just confused and lost to begin with. So it got easier. I think it got easier the, the more, you know, it got easier because I found as I went on how easy it was to make those connections. Um, I think especially for solo travel, when you're traveling alone, um, if you've never done it before, I think people would, will be surprised at how easy it is and how quickly you make new friends. Um, it takes a bit of a step on your part to trust a stranger. Um, and I'm not saying you always should, but I think you'll be surprised if you do every once in a while. Um, I found that like, just like posting up at a bar anywhere in the world on my own, if I wasn't staring into the void of my cell phone, which is kind of the, the first reaction to do when yeah. you're on your own is stare at Instagram, even though you're not even paying attention to really what, what you're looking at. If I just kind of stood there and looked around, someone would strike up a conversation with me because they'd be curious what I was doing there. Next thing I know, I'm getting all these recommendations for them in certain places where the hospitality was just amazing, like George, the country of Georgia, Tunisia. Um, the next thing I know, I'm invited to their home for dinner. And, you know, it's a risk, obviously, to get in that car with that stranger. But I found that the, the rewards to those risks were incredible and also that it's really up to you as an individual to figure out your own threshold for risk for me it might be a little higher i also completely recognize the privilege that i have as a as a man doing this trip yeah, alone. yeah like yeah. it could take a lot of risks that i think a woman couldn't I'm, I'm sure you learned in talking to jada last year you know she had to think about things that i didn't have to and it's an unfortunate reality of yeah our world um but even then, I think it does come down to the individual about what, what risks you're willing to take. And I think most people will be surprised at, at 
the kindness that, that you'll find. It's just probability-wise, more people in the world are nice than are out to get you, you know? That's, that's very, very true. Uh, how often during this past year were you at a place and you're like, man, I am so not ready to leave this place? Oh, my God. Um, many, many, many. I mean, I'd say the vast majority. I'd say the vast majority. Because um, it was, you know, because sometimes it would take me until day three to really get my groove, to have met people, to have sort of started understanding the flow of the city. And then suddenly I realized I had two days left before I had to leave. Um, so I think it happened almost every week. I, I wished I could have stayed a little longer. Um, and in places that are surprising, probably. I mean, I ended my trip in Calgary, Alberta. It was my last stop. And in the months leading up to my stop there, when I, was gonna, I knew I was going to finish the year, a lot of my friends were kind of teasing me about it, right? Because I'd been to these incredible places, places that are you know, objectively and are famous for being incredible, like New Zealand and Tahiti and Japan and all this stuff. And they're like, oh, it's going to be a real fall from grace for you to end in Calgary <laughs> in, the middle of De- in the middle of December, nonetheless, winter in Calgary. Um, but I loved it. And like part of that was because I met a great group of people who – wanted to show me around the, their city. And by the end of it, you know, I spent a full six days there where a lot of, again, a lot of people were saying, what are you going to do in Calgary for six days in the middle of winter? But by the end of it, I was like, Man, I could do another week here. Like, this is great. And I think it just comes from open-mindedness. And like, that has been my main takeaway, whether it's for meeting strangers or, you know, finding your groove in a place or, or whatever. It's It's just having that curiosity, that open-mindedness and that acknowledgement of your own ignorance about a place realizing that no matter how much you've read about it or watched movies about it or tv like you know nothing compared to a local in a place yeah so if you go into an interaction with one of those locals with that understanding you're just going to learn so much and you're going to see so much because your approach is going to be like hey teach me about your home and their reaction is going to be i would love to you know you know, it's interesting too. When I, whenever I travel, the first day, I, there's always a bit of uneasiness. You're just trying to, um, you're just trying to get acclimated to the place, find out where things are, kind of get to the, you know, the the daily hustle. You know how this place operates and so forth. By the end of my vacation there, my trip there, I feel like, you know, wow, I love this city. I'd love to stay here. I'd love to come back. And I can't imagine doing that 52 times in a year. Every week. <laughs> Every no, week. It's, it's a really great. It's a really great point because I mean, I was in touch with my my girlfriend, my partner who lives back in New York, you know, every day. And so she heard the sort of uncensored version of the trip, right? All my emotional highs and lows. Uh-huh. And it was, she pointed out actually that she recognized the pattern that I was, I felt the lowest on my first day in a place, which is, I think probably surprising to most people. Cause you'd think that's when I'd be most hyped about and excited to yeah. explore. But there was something I think probably about letting go of the previous place, mm-hmm. like, feeling like I was starting from zero again every week that was actually when I felt the most, I don't know, sad. Of course, a day later, I'd be feeling on top of the world, but it was just an interesting pattern to to notice. And it goes with exactly what you were saying, that kind of moment of disorientation when you first land. You know, I totally understand that, too. And it's interesting how your girlfriend, who you were in constant contact with, totally recognized that. So what was your schedule like? I mean, was it like every Sunday you left? Because I know you said Monday was a work day for you where you wrote and prepared your materials from the previous week. Right. Yeah, it wasn't. So it didn't actually... Uh, end up really working out as kind of Monday through Friday because sometimes I'd spend four days in a place, sometimes I'd spend six days, and sometimes it, it would take me two days to get to the next place. But the rule I kind of gave myself was first day, I'd try to basically not leave my hotel room and just 
edit photos, organize them, write up my articles, get all the work done from the previous place so I could file all of that and not have to worry about it while I explored the new place. Sometimes it didn't always work out that way. Um, you know, I, as a good example is like I landed in Bergen in Norway, which I think is, you know, people can fact check this, but I think is the rainiest city in Europe. <laughs> okay. And it was, the sun was shining and it was blue skies. It's like a perfect early summer day in this rainy city. And I was like, I'm not staying inside and writing all day. This is like winning the jackpot. Like I'm going to go outside and spend a day. So it was a rule that I was willing to break, but I tried to, to stick to it as much as possible. And then usually my second morning, I would start by going on just a very long walk um, where I wouldn't have a destination in mind. Um, maybe I'd have a sort of vague idea of the neighborhoods I wanted to see. But I just I just find that like walking for two, three hours and maybe stopping for a coffee on the way or whatever, just such a great way to get a vibe of a place um, without any agenda or, or anything like that. So that, that would kind of be my next step. Then I would try to knock out the major landmarks, you know, the places that everyone goes. Um, I try to usually do it in an afternoon, kind of a whirlwind tour of the greatest hits, just like <laughs> I, I knew about them. The greatest hits. I love yeah, it. And, and then I'd go off script usually. Then, then it was whatever happened, happened. I, and usually it was putting my hands and putting my life and plan in the hands of uh, strangers who would quickly become friends and friends that I'm still in touch with today. Now, this whole trip was planned out because of the 52 Places article in the New York Times. So th did you know from when you left where you were going to go every single day for that year? Or was it kind of like, we'll tell you next where you're going to go in a couple of weeks? How did that oper operate? We, we had a vague sort of itinerary mapped out. Of course, we didn't book everything because if one thing went wrong, it would be a uh, you know, crazy domino effect. Yeah. Um, oh, that's right. I, did, I remember uh, reading that. I remember, yes, you couldn't do that because if, yes, the domino effect of yeah, traveling too far in advance. Just, exactly. So we would book, like, besides for major things, like I was in Chile for a solar eclipse and we knew it would be hard to find a place to stay, and, like things like that, we would book far ahead of time. But otherwise, we were booking like a week to two weeks out, sometimes a matter of days. Um, and so we had a vague outline of, of the route. Actually, like the company kayak helped us come up with the route based on flight availabilities and things like that we adjusted things as as we went on because we'd noticed that like oh i'm supposed to be in switzerland for this festival but i'm actually only arriving two days afterwards let's adjust things so i can be there for the festival you know little things like that um and then it was yeah and besides accommodation we usually had no plans um sort of in stone when i got off the plane how much prep work did you do? Like you were going to Norway, did you do a lot of reading up on it before each place you went to? Or as you said, just I kind tried. of skimmed over the greatest hits? Yeah, I tried at the beginning to like really map things out um, and really know what I was going to do when I landed. But then like by, you know, stop six or seven, I would just see all of my carefully crafted plans fall apart um, <laughs> for various reasons. So I was like, this is a waste of time. And I, I, I think there's, I think we tend to, because travel's expensive, it's using, you know, valuable vacation time away from work. It's a big investment. I think people tend to over plan. They tend to like do all this research. They know exactly where they want to have breakfast and lunch and dinner for four days while they're in, you know, Prague or whatever. Um, and I think I was probably on one extreme or on the other extreme of that where I would, was often going in blind. Um, but I think there's a sweet spot in between. It's like 
knowing what, what you're there for, knowing that there are things you really, really want to do, but also leaving the opportunities open for serendipity. Um, and I, that's a, that was a big thing I learned this year was, was how important that is and how that often led to the most memorable experiences. So I tried not to overplan it. You know, usually that meant I was doing a lot of research once I was actually writing the piece um, or in my interviews, I was, like I said earlier, kind of starting from scratch and admitting my own ignorance about a place. But I think that led to some of the most interesting conversations and taught me the most because I didn't come in with a whole lot of preconceptions because I hadn't done any preparation to come up with those preconceptions. What What is something that maybe you learned on your trip that is like it totally blew you away, maybe about yourself or about a place that you visited? It's like, man, this this is kind of game changing for me and the way I look at things. I think it was learning to be comfortable alone, honestly. Um, I, you know, I, I am extroverted. I love hanging out with friends i sort of uh, gain a lot of energy from or recharge by hanging out with friends and family and this was the first time i've spent even close to this much amount of time on my own um and there were tough times for sure there was loneliness and times that i really wanted friends or family to be around if not only to just or if only to just you know point at something and say are you looking at this like look how beautiful this is and it's hard sometimes when you don't have someone to share that with um but I also ended up loving it, uh, just, you know, having these, creating these memories that are mine and mine alone that I'll always be able to look back on to the point where now that I'm back in New York, obviously it's amazing to see everyone again and all my old friends and my partner, but I found myself craving more alone time, which is not something I expected. And I think this year taught me a lot about being comfortable alone. Um, and like the, the moments of loneliness, it was just amazing to observe how quickly they could switch you know one in the morning i'm feeling down because i want to be around people i know and love and by the afternoon i'm taking shots with a bunch of old georgian men who feel like my uncles you know uh-huh. um so it was it was a emotional roller coaster sometimes but it was a big learning experience just to kind of learn how to grapple with solitude you know, it's kind of funny because I remember talking to Jada last year when she came back and she said, uh, you know, that was one thing that was uh, very difficult for her. There was a kind of loneliness on the road. But I think that actually, you know, talking to you, it's you kind of had different experiences about that because it seemed like uh, I think maybe, as you said before, as a guy, you kind of can trust strangers a little bit more than a woman can. Yeah. And it kind of changed. The experience was different. I didn't even realize that till I got married. The different experience that people that women have than men. Uh, I was very mm-hmm. ignorant to that. Yeah, and it, I mean, it goes down to other you know aspects of identity too. Like, I mean, I like I said, I'm half Indian, half Colombian, which has meant that um, the, the product is that I'm pretty like ethnically ambiguous. I think yeah. a lot of people kind of look at me and they're like, I don't really get where this guy is from. <laughs> but it, it has meant that like this year, there were a lot of places where other people maybe would stand out as a tourist where I just like blended in, you know, in Tunisia, people were asking me for directions. Um, same goes for Uzbekistan or in Latin America or India. Um, it's places where like I could walk home at night and nobody would even give me a second look because uh, mm-hmm. I didn't stand out as a tourist flip side of that is that there are places that maybe were, you know, I, I only felt threatened once in terms of safety. And it was in Australia when I was confronted by a couple of racist dudes who were screaming racial slurs at me. So it's, it just goes to show that so much, and that's not to say anything about, you know, to paint a broad stroke about Australia, sure, but it yeah. goes to show that so much about safety and travel does come down to identity or at least 
mm-hmm. what's perceptible in your identity from externally. Um, so there isn't a sort of one size fits all when it comes to safety and you really have to figure out where you fit and what, what's, like I said earlier, you're kind of your own threshold for risk based on that. Yeah. You know, I, I want to point out something that uh, you've mentioned Tunisia probably three or four times, and I have a feeling yeah. that maybe that was a really special place that you visited. It was up there for sure, yeah. I mean, it was, I again, in one of those places that I knew very little about or what I did know about it wasn't necessarily positive. You know, it was in the news. Um, I mean, after, of course, it was positive, it was the place where the Arab Spring started. And, uh-huh. You know, it was heralded as a place that was maybe one of the only successes that came out of the Arab Spring in terms of stability and, and democracy. But it's had a lot of bad press in recent years, too. There were some pretty high-profile and tragic terrorist attacks in, in Tunis and around Tunisia in the past few years. So I didn't go in expecting it to blow me away or, or to kind of change me in the way that it did. Um it's just such a fascinating city and like such a cosmopolitan city with people who are young people who are doing really interesting, creative things and an amazing nightlife. And yeah, there's just so much there. Um, I can't wait to go back. And again, a lot of it came down to, you know, I met someone through a friend of a friend of a friend as, you know, many, many sort of um, degrees of separation and they introduced me to more people. And soon I was just hanging out with this crew of, you know, people in their 20s and 30s who are who had all moved back to the country in recent years and were really trying to change it um, by starting businesses or working in the government or, or doing other things. And it was really uh, inspiring to see. Yeah, is, that is so interesting. You know, I, I met a friend of a friend when I went to uh, Budapest a couple of years ago, and now I can't wait to go pack. I, if we lived in the same city, I think we'd be best friends. It's just uh, it's an amazing thing when you meet someone from a foreign country and you connect and you just... They open up their world to you. It's just, it's, it's a very special thing. And I can't tell you how many of those people there are that I know. It's a, it's a really good way of putting it. Uh, like, it's, if I lived here or you lived in New York, we'd be hanging out every weekend. Um, yeah. And I'm still getting, you know, I still get the WhatsApp messages from people I met back in March in Uzbekistan or, you know, in June in Denmark, just checking in and saying, hey, how are things? giving me updates on their life it's it's really amazing yeah well what is it you know you said there's a place you wanted to go back to any other places of the 52 that you or 51 that you visited that you're like man i can't wait to get back there Oof. um or are, all, are all 51 are places you want to get back to basically i mean basically there's there's a few exceptions i mean the senegal the car was a city that i fell in love with and i felt like i only scratched the surface um there's where else i mean i guess you wait let me let me ask that question in a different way okay you say you have a, a partner in new york city where do you want to take them to yeah yeah she was she started getting very frustrated because every week i was like <laughs> you, know, you gotta you gotta come here we gotta come here she's like better be getting a lot of miles um puerto rico is one for sure um it's really sad what's happening there right now but i loved it there and again it was a place where i met all these friends and and my partners actually her one of her grandparents was from puerto rico um so there's a that side of her family she's never been there so i'd love to take her there um we she came to visit me in a few places actually we met in brazil in the azores and in senegal and i'd love to go back to all of them <laughs> with her because of you know what we did there and what was left to do when we left and we said we got to come back um i mean the answer is the same really it's like where would i go back to and where would i want her to see it's basically all of the places. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> well, is the Times doing this for 2020? I don't recall them picking another another journalist to travel to the 52 places. Yeah, unfortunately, they're not. Um, I I haven't been given the full reason why. It's more a question for the editors, but I think part of it is that they, when they came up with this idea, it was kind of a fun stunt, and mm-hmm. the question they're asking themselves, I think, right now is, like, is this really something we're going to do every year until the end of time? Because it's a huge logistical Yeah, it's yeah, it's a major undertaking, yeah. Yeah, um, so, I mean, we'll see. I mean, I hope they do it, even if it's every few years. Yeah. Um, but uh, for now, I guess it just makes Jada and I extra special. So if, if a journalist, if they did do it, say, in five years, and a journalist came to you and said, hey, you know what, I'm thinking about applying for this, what would you tell them? I would say do it and get as much sleep as you can in the weeks <laughs> leading up to it. <laughs> you're going to put yourself through the paces. Um, yeah, I mean, I had I could have no concept of how grueling it really was. I mean, it just sounds like a dream job, which, again, it really is. But uh, it's uh, not for everyone. It's really, really hard. Um, it's gonna, but it's made me a better, you know, I think it's made me a better person, a more empathetic person. And like I said, it's made me more comfortable with myself and, and all these other things. It's also just made me such a better journalist. I mean, to have to hit that deadline every week, mm-hmm. there was no question of whether or not I was going to do it or not um, because the next week I'd have to be somewhere filing from somewhere else. Um, it just made me such a better journalist. Um, and then that's not to even take into account all the multimedia asks and filing expenses every week. And so it's, there was always something to do, which made it pretty tough, even on a weekend. You know, it was, there was always something I needed to be doing work-wise. And it made the day after I kind of closed up shop with the Times when I woke up in my apartment in New York, it made it very surreal to look around and be like, wow, for the first time in 365 days, I literally have nothing to do. <laughs> So I'm I'm reveling in that, you know, besides the occasional phone call from a radio host or something like that, I'm taking it very easy. Well, that's my final question to you. What is life like now and going forward, a life and slash career for Sebastian Modic? God, it's a tough question. I feel like it's going to be an unsatisfying spot to end on because I really have no idea and I'm in no rush to figure it out. I mean, I... Most of all, I need a break, so I'm taking it. Um, I'm not rushing into anything. I think I'll probably take on a few freelance assignments just to keep my brain working mm-hmm. um, over the next couple of months. And then, you know, just talking to people and seeing what's next. I think I have more stories to tell based on this past year that I haven't told yet. I think I have way more stories to tell in the next few years as I continue traveling. But regardless of what I do, it's going to involve travel. I can't see myself back in uh in the office necessarily, though that might change. Um, I think I need to be out in the world and uh, connecting with new people and reconnecting with all those people that I met this year. Well, Sebastian, a fascinating conversation. I thank you so much for your time, and thank you for taking us with you on your travels for the past year. Thank you. It's fun to reminisce and relive it. You've been listening to the Travel with Hawkeye podcast. The world is out there. Your adventure awaits.